In this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, why is passion an InfoSec requirement? Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring why is passion an InfoSec requirement? Joining me today to help answer this question is Chris Sanders, CEO of Applied Network Defense and founder of the Rural Technology Fund. Chris, how are you? I'm good, brother. How are you doing? Good. So uh, the reason why Chris is on is because he recently had a fantastic post on his uh, blog uh, at chrissanders.org titled The Cult of Passion. And it talks a little bit about I mean, passion as like a almost like a requirement or you know something that you have to have to be an infosec. What I guess, what what was your reason for writing that post? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I do a lot with, I have quite a few mentees, and I do a lot in regards to trying to help people find jobs and get to the right place. That's a part of what I'm doing with the Rural Technology Fund, and just something I've always done and been interested in. And so I read a lot of blog posts that other people publish about hiring people in information security and nearly all of them are very well intentioned and they always have a lot of good input. But lately I just happened to read a couple of those that really rubbed me the wrong way because they focused heavily on this concept of passion. And specifically they focused on the idea that when hiring entry level infosec practitioners, that you should only hire people who are extremely passionate. And what I know from my work, uh, my PhD work with psychology is that passion's a little bit more involved with that. And I think there's a lot more to that story, and that led me to write the uh, the post where I almost kind of debunk a little bit of the common uh, stigma around passion and talk a little bit about you know why I think it's you know it can be good. Passion's certainly not a bad thing, but when viewed in certain ways, it can lead people down a bad road into this cult-like mentality. So I wanted to put some of those words on paper, uh, not just for for the benefit of others, but for my own purposes as well, right? When I put something on paper, mm-hmm. I kind of codify my own thoughts and uh, that all led to the blog post, which uh, uh, I figured would be pretty controversial when I posted it. I figured I'd have a few people who would be tweeting me telling me I'm an idiot. Uh, not as many as I thought. Uh, really? still, still a few of those, uh, definitely a few of those, but uh, I was prepared for it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, that's one thing that I've, I've written about it on my own blog about that, but it's it, I feel like it sets the bar like high for people. And, you know, we talk about this talent shortage constantly in the industry and it's like, well, let's, you know, not that we need to set the bar extremely low, but there is a place for people that want to come and work nine to five. My own experience is that, you know, I didn't come up and I hear all these stories about coming up through through high school and, and elementary school and hacking computers at eight and, you know, doing all this other stuff. I didn't do that. I, I did not get into computers until I got a, a an electronics technician job at the Navy. Even then, I kind of middled around in IT, not knowing what I wanted to do. So I never, I didn't even get into InfoSec until like my 30, until I was 30. So, you know, I just, from my own experience, I I totally agree with you um, as far as, you know, the fact that I think passion just, just sets the bar way too high. It is. And, and, you know, one of the one of the things I got from a lot of people who read the article, they would email me and they'd say, well, Chris, passion, passion isn't a bad thing. And I would go, no, of course not. I mean, I, I didn't write that passion was a bad thing. Passion's great. We need passionate people. And our industry, you know, partially exists because we do have a lot of people who are passionate about 
information security in this industry. And that's great and that's fine. I'm just saying that, generally speaking, most people are not going to be passionate about this industry. They're going to be passionate about the things that the industry lets them do, that their job allows them to do, whether it's to get out their creativity or do uh, problem solving or, or mm-hmm. you know, simply provide a living for their families. They're going to be passionate for those things. Passion, perfectly okay, but it's a little too high of a barrier to entry to say, hey, new guy who knows nothing about information security, <laughs> I expect this to be your life, right? That, that right. Is, that's not sustainable. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I still even struggle with people who are, you know, you, you, especially on Twitter, I'm trying to get on, off Twitter or spend less time on Twitter, but you see these people on Twitter who are doing all these amazing things in their free time and stuff like that. And I've, I've tried that before where I just, you know, I went to work, came home, worked on this podcast, worked on blog posts, you know, just worked on a ton of stuff. And I very quickly realized that that's just not going to work for me. I need some downtime. I need to, you know, just watch Netflix or play yeah. video games or something, dude. To, I, I need to recharge. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's not sustainable, right? I mean, you right. can't, I mean, with anything, you can't do the same thing just constantly and over and over and over again. There are certainly people who can do that and more power to them, but it takes mm-hmm. a very special type of person to be able to do that. And that ain't most people. Right. Um, that's your top five or one percent of practitioners mm-hmm. in any industry. But I, I use the the analogy of uh, of you know doctors or lawyers, right? Like they they do their job, and certainly many of them may keep long hours. But when they go home, they don't you know. They, th- they maybe think about work, but they don't think about professional development. And that's the unique thing about our industry is people are expected to work, you know, their their 10-hour days, come home and spend the rest of their time on professional development. And that's not how really any in- other industry works. Um, and, and that's because most of these other industries know that if you force p- people to do that and if that's a requirement, then people are going to burn out. It's just not sustainable. So I, I prescribe to, to Mike Rowe's thing on, on passion. And he's he's not he doesn't like rail against it, but he says, you know, bring passion to your work. And I feel like if we are going to talk about passion, people having passion, that's that's what I do. And so essentially what that means is, you know, me being successful in InfoSec could be I could be just as successful in every in any other field just because of, you know, the work ethic I bring. And and the you know, you talk about this in your in your blog is, you know, it's curiosity and, and, you know, wanting to take on that next challenge within InfoSec. Yeah. And, and well, you know, the thing about InfoSec is if it wasn't here, we wouldn't all just wander around aimlessly. We would do something else. <laughs> right. right? And, and, I, and I would posit that most of us would probably be engineers because InfoSec is more closely related to engineering than anything else. Some people would say it's a science. Some people would say it's an art. It's really neither one of those things. It's engineering. Um, it's taking a very known finite space and manipulating parameters within it. There's no phenomena. So it's not science. It's a lot more well-defined than art. So it's, it's engineering. So we would be aerospace engineers and civil engineers and all those other things. And I would venture to say that a lot of the same people who say they're just completely passionate about InfoSec could, had a few decisions been differently in their life, been just as passionate about aerospace engineering or civil engineering or or what have you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I also, this might be going off the rails a little bit here, but I feel like security at some point, we're kind of, I don't want to say golden age, but we're in an area where, or in a time when security is kind of in the news a lot. So it's, it's kind of, it's getting a lot of attention now. I don't know that that will be the case in the future. I think security will start to become more embedded in people's roles, you know, within developers, within engineers, within, you know, system and, and network administrators. I've seen some really good network or some really good security from those people. And I just feel like, you know, security will like, it's getting pumped up right now, but it'll kind of stabilize. And, you know, there's, there will still be security people, but maybe not, necessarily as many. 
Yeah, and I think where we're moving towards, and it's probably going to be a while before we get there, is you know we have this notion now you have security people and then you have systems administrators. And eventually – Every systems administrator is going to be a security person. That's how it's that's how it's already moving. Uh, that's how it it really needs and has to be for this whole thing that we call security to be successful. Is everyone has to take a greater responsibility of security, and the dedicated practice of security will be a little bit more generalized. You'll still have specialists, but there'll be a lot more general practitioners, so to speak. Um, but like you said, it's more in the news now. It's more popular now. There are a lot more dedicated practitioners. And what that means is when we're talking about a canvas is the canvas of information security is very large. So if you're the kind of person who is passionate or is a little bit obsessive about it, then you've got plenty of canvas to paint on. Uh, and therefore, it's easy to kind of fall into this passion um, cult, so to speak, as I, as I call it. So, so I guess what was your, let's say, so what's your passion then? You know, this was an interesting thing for me. And, and, you know, what really opened the door for me was when I started studying psychology and thinking about the human condition outside of, of just, you know, security. When you think about security and think about humans, it's this whole users versus red teamers versus blue teamers, et cetera. And it's very, uh, it's very weird dynamic. But started thinking about human nature altogether um, and learning about how humans think, the history of different big thinkers and how they conceptualize um how they conceptualize the human thought process. And that made me really question myself, right? Any, any person who's a psychologist is going to, uh, they're going to be their number one subject, right? They're going to be introspective and think about such things. And when I really got to thinking about it, you know, at some point a few years ago, I realized I'm not really passionate about information security, not really at all. Um, you know, information security, again, to use the metaphor of a canvas, it's, it's a large canvas that lets me paint. It lets me, you know, manifest the things I am passionate about and I'm passionate about helping people. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, that's the same reason I like to barbecue a lot is, is I like to get people around the table and feed people. Uh, it's the same reason I started the nonprofit is I like to see people with who are underserved and underserved areas succeed against the odds that, you know, the odds that are against them. Uh, I really like helping people. Uh, I also like solving problems. And I think that's true. Probably a lot of people in information security. Uh, I'm passionate about, uh, those types of things. So once I realized that it was an entire Entirely liberating thing for me. Um, honestly, it made me spend a little bit more, a little bit less time outside of work on information security. Um, some people might say, "Well, that's not a good thing," but I managed to do all right nonetheless. Um, so I started spending more time with family. Started spending more time, uh, you know, firing up the barbecue pit. I uh, started learning more about psychology, learning more about other things. I started reading more things. Uh, I probably read less about technology than anything nowadays. I read a lot about Southern culture and about, uh, you know, I'm reading a, a great book now called The Potlicker Papers about uh, the intertwining of food and racism in the South and how uh, food allowed uh, was a key pivotal thing that helped um, diminish racism in the South in the 50s and 60s. So it, it really opened up my eyes and I believe it made me not only a better person, but just a more uh, kind of centered self uh, self aware person in terms of I'm I'm just happier altogether and I think a lot of people would benefit from that same type of liberation is is understanding what they're truly passionate about because I, and I say this in the article most people are not passionate about information security they think they are but really if they look a little bit deeper and question that they're going to find they're actually passionate about other things problem solving helping people uh, a lot of people it's justice this whole sense of good versus evil and then being on the good side and bringing justice to the bad guys and it's, for some people it's as simple as if you have a family it's being able to provide at a high level for your family if you're in information security you're probably paid pretty decently it's a good paying field. So you can provide security for your family in a very uh, nice way, maybe even in such a way where other family members don't have to work and so on. So 
those underlying passion things are, are very important. And I know for me, figuring that out was just an entirely liberating thing. Yeah, no. And that's, that's actually my story is I was, like I said, I, I didn't get into information security until I was 30. I didn't realize I wanted to get into security until my late twenties. And that's because I just wasn't inspired by anything network or system administration. And, you know, I'd, I'd go to work, come home and play video games for five hours a night. And then I started having children and realized, Oh, I've got to feed them. <laughs> you know, I've got mouths. I've got other mouths I have to feed now. And we had planned to, you know, expand it even for our family even further. So it's like, well, you know, this uh, security is an interest of mine. It's more of an interest in network and system administration. It also, as you said, pays pretty well. Um, I'm going to go see if I can't get into that. And, you know, it, it has, and that's why I like to use word inspired me more to get involved within the community. But even then, like you said, it's, it's, I, my first thing was volunteering. I wanted to help out and I've always been kind of that way of willing to help other people. And that's, uh, you know, you get that, you get that satisfaction and you feel that a sense of accomplishment from helping others. Um, or as you mentioned, you know, solving problems or challenges, there's, there's nothing better than banging your head against the wall for three or four hours and then figuring it out. And then you kind of have, you know, that sense of accomplishment, that high from figuring out a really hard problem. And I think, you know, that's that's kind of like you said, that, that's what I focus on to realize. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, think about it this way. If you realize you have this passion for this underlying thing, maybe it's helping people. And the way that you traditionally manifest that is through InfoSec. But once you once you realize that what you're actually trying to do is, is help people, then it really just opens up a whole lot of other avenues to do that, right? Because in most of our jobs, and this is an unfortunate truth, but in most of our jobs, if you try to draw a line between the activity you do and how many people it actually helps – it's probably pretty low. And I know that's a very kind of depressing thing to put it that way, but it, it's the truth. And, and quite honestly, that's one of the reasons that led me to leave my last job is I tried to draw a line from the actions I took on a daily basis and how many people it truly helped. And the line went through too many people and it just didn't get to the people it needed to get to. So I left to start my own company and, and do my own thing and help people in the most direct way I knew possible. So, when I realized that and, and I realized I could do it in other ways, right? So I figured, you know, I don't just have to put in firewall rules or uh, build network security monitoring sensors. I could volunteer at the food bank. I could help provide scholarships to kids uh, in rural areas going to take going into technology. Um, I can host a barbecue for all my neighbors, right? It's all these different things that you can do that your canvas becomes a lot bigger once you identify what that true passion is. Right. Right. And again, I do want to reiterate that this this isn't to say that there aren't people out there with that with that kind of passion. But, you know, I guess and kind of the whole idea I had around doing this podcast, and why I like your idea, is that we have a lot of people getting into the field. And, you know, it's just there's this view passions like all over the place. And I guess essentially what I want to get across is it's OK. It's OK to go home and relax and, and, you know, do something that you, you enjoy. Work does not have to be, you know, a 16, uh, 18 hour day, even after work. I, I put a lot of time in, you know, afterwards with this podcast and going to conferences and things like that. I still get work time for a lot of that stuff too, though. So I, I will take my time off when I need to. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's important. And, and especially in a field, and I don't I don't want to get into this too much, but I think we've all heard the stories and have probably even known people who this field is just kind of destroyed, right? I, I have a I had one friend who basically just got so deep into the field and had a couple bad turns and um, ended up kind of just losing his mind and now he's a shaman down in South America. Oh wow. Uh, um and, and that actually and I, sounds kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of does until you, you see it and, and maybe oh, okay. but uh and then uh 
I had another friend who, um, was this was his life and that's what he did when he came home and um you know work goes bad sometimes and work got really frustrating for him he got a drinking problem and eventually drank mm-hmm. himself to de- literally to death um he's 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 passed now and that's that's the kind of stuff that sticks with you and i think a lot of us have stories like that or have at least heard of those stories and we're never going to fix that fully um but i will say i think it is disproportionate the amount of the amount that that happens in our field versus some others and i think this kind of cult of passion is is at least part of that problem yeah, no, absolutely. So I guess what should people focus on instead of passion? Um, you know, I think, you know, besides the things we talked about with passion, you know, what are the things we're actually looking for when hiring? That That's that's the big thing. And mm-hmm. passion is kind of an excuse to not dig a little deeper. And I think the thing we're mostly looking for is curiosity. Um, and I've spoken about curiosity quite a bit, written about it. I actually gave a keynote at B-Side Cincinnati recently about curiosity and kind of what that is. And I think curiosity is the thing that mo- mostly we're looking for because, as I said, passion is not entirely sustainable. Uh, whereas curiosity is, but it's it, it takes a little bit of effort um, between both the candidate and the person who's hiring them. Um, so curiosity Fundamentally, there's this thing called information gap theory, and it defines curiosity as the gap that exists between what you know, the knowledge you possess, and the knowledge that's out there and that you're aware of. Um, There's that gap that exists, and when you view that gap, you do kind of this subconscious gamble and that says, okay, how much effort will be required for me to go after this knowledge, and what is the benefit of me doing so? Um, Obviously, if the benefit is greater than the cost, you're going to do it. That's generally what's going to happen. So – People who are curious are more often and more likely to go after those things and pursue knowledge. And what that means is those people are going to learn at a faster rate than people who are not curious. We often quantify experience in terms of years, but that's really a bad way to quantify experience because you take two people with the same experience and put them in the same job and five years later – they're probably going to have two very different skill sets. And that's probably because one is more curious than the other, or at least that's what I would posit. So looking for people that are curious is a much better use of your time than looking for people who are passionate uh, because curiosity is something that can be kind of cradled and and, uh, expanded upon and something that's certainly a lot more sustainable. So, so is there a technique for looking for that? I mean, we can say we look for it, but like, how do you actually look for curiosity? What things are you looking for? Yeah, and that, that that's tricky. It's a little bit easier once you've gotten somebody already hired because you can look at activities and, and you know it, it's kind of extreme. So someone who gets up a lot, like if you if you're in a sock environment, for example, someone who gets up all the time because they just need to like walk and think about things, they're generally probably more curious. But on the flip side, someone who never gets up, like they sit down in the morning and they stay there till four o'clock in the afternoon that's someone who's probably curious and they're just insanely focused on the problem at hand. So you're looking for extremes like that. But in the hiring process, I think the best way to do that is generally through practical exercise. Um, So if you're hiring someone for an analyst job, you might give them a PCAP and say, hey, analyze this and solve this problem. And of course, they're going to go out and solve this problem, but you kind of lace it with a couple of other Easter eggs and see if they bring up the Easter eggs, see if they, they found the thing that looks weird but is unexplained and see if they ask you about it. Um, and PCAP is one example. It can be some log data. Uh, if it's a pen test type situation, you can have a couple extra systems or services running. Um, it's seen w- basically trying to test the ability of those candidates to uh, to notice these weird things and have the motivation to either pursue them or at least at very minimum ask about them. That, that's probably the most effective way I've found to gauge curiosity in an interview type setting. Okay. Does, does I guess, activities like – or like I like putting – so I, I, and this kind of goes back to passion, but I, I put down, you know, all my conference attendance, you know, I'm volunteering there, we're speaking at stuff. Would you consider that curiosity or would you 
consider that something else. I wouldn't consider it curiosity. You know, that I would consider that probably more, you know, for some people that's passion. And I talk about this in the article a little bit as well. But the problem, you know, there's no problem having passion. There's no problem measuring your own passion. The problem mm-hmm. is passion's immeasurable kind of across people. It's a very subjective right. thing, right? So it's okay for me to be passionate. But the second I start judging you based upon my own standard for passion is the second mm-hmm. there's opportunity for, for really bad things uh, to happen. So uh, for me, passion might mean going to conferences or writing blog posts, but other people manifest that in different ways. And that might not be the thing you do. So you have to be careful about that sort of thing. So I, I would separate that more towards passion than, than curiosity uh, in that regard. Yeah, no, and I and I agree with you, and I really like that part of the of the blog post where you talk about you know someone that goes to like two conferences a year versus someone that goes to like eight. Yeah. You know, you're having you're kind of it's a sliding scale like that. That person, you know, that person that goes to two might be just as curious or have other you know positive skills than, than the other person. So it's it's not necessarily just a numbers game either. Right. And, and with conferences, I mean, the thing about those, especially the bigger ones, my conference experience may be very different than yours. People experience <laughs> right. conferences yeah. in completely different ways. There are some people who go to conferences purely to party and they don't go to any of the talks. They don't do any of the, the work related stuff. They just go to right. party and and that's their thing. And that's that's fine. But, you know, that may be different than the person who goes and watches every talk and speaks and all that. So conferences can be experienced very, very different ways. Right. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of another way outside of, you know, like you said, doing some kind of activity. You know, setting up pen tests and PCAPs, um, I guess, can feel like a, 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 a the next level. Like if you're trying to identify someone in like a phone interview, something that you can ask or, or some kind of experience for them that you can lean on. Yeah, that it, would kind of show some curiosity. Yeah, it, it's tough. And I, I will tell you from my perspective, whenever I'm hiring entry level, and this is specifically for entry level, you know, I put almost no value in the resume. Um, I glance a resume, but pretty much every single person who sends me a resume gets an interview. And a lot of people who are hiring managers probably gawk at that and they say, wow, that's a lot of work. But I would say that, well, listen, your most important decision you'll ever make is hiring somebody. So mm-hmm. put put the time and effort into it. So every person who applies to a job with me for entry level gets an interview. Um and then from there, almost all of those get a practical exercise, right? And I, and the thing is, and, and I don't always tell them this, I don't care if they get it right or wrong. It's not. It's usually an exercise that's fairly easy, and it's not really designed for them to get it right necessarily. It's more designed for them to tell me about what they did, how far they dug into it, and identify those things that may be related to helping me identify curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Would you just ask someone, you know, tell me a little bit about your curiosity, yeah, and, and that's fair too. So uh, psychologically, as far as testing curiosity, you know, the curiosity is kind of divided up in a couple of ways. Uh, there's this notion of uh, uh, state curiosity, which is kind of curiosity as an inherent trait, like being born with it or at least having it developed up into a certain point. And then there's this type of like domain specific curiosity. But there are some tests out there that will measure state curiosity, and they're Okay, they're not great, but they basically boil down to about a 10 question inventory that says, are you curious? Right. Like it's right. <laughs> it, it's a very simple thing. Um, right. And, I, you know, that's that's something that's worth asking because it's always great to ask and, and get the responses from people. And and if someone says, nah, not really, well, then they're probably not. Most people are going to say they are, but how passionate they are about the curiosity that they have. And this is kind of relating those two concepts together. That's that's uh, that's an interesting question to ask. Most people will say they are curious. Right. But and everyone is curious to a certain degree. Right. But it's it's what degree of curiosity they exhibit. Right. But I guess you could also ask, like, like, each, tell me a time when, when your curiosity led to a positive outcome or, you know, a, a bad outcome. Yeah. So kind of rely on that experience a little bit. 
Yeah, you can, but but keep in mind too, they're entry level. So yeah, that, that, that that's if, if if they have no experience, then that may be a hard thing to come up with on the yeah. Process. But I mean, you can you can rely on like other things other than job. Like they could be curious about other things in schoolwork or you know, um, other areas. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I would also say like if if you like if you're on the other side and you're interviewing for a job and you want to show your curiosity to people. Um, you know, at the end of the, the interview, there's usually, Hey, do you have any questions for me? Make sure you have good questions. Make sure you've like been curious about the company and gone and researched the people and then try to find, you know, questions that would be more in depth on top of that information. Um, you know, asking, what does this company do again? It probably doesn't really show much curiosity. Yeah, no, that, and that's true. And, and I, I kind of, I definitely give bonus points to the people who interview with me. They've they've looked me up, and not just because I'm an egomaniac. Although some people might accuse me of that too. But right. but if they if they're interviewing with me, and they say, "Hey, I noticed I I was looking at your book, and I saw this question. I had this question about it, or I saw this blog post you posted. Like you don't got to go read every one, but you know it's going to show curiosity and initiative because curiosity is is the desire to know, but there's also the uh, initiative you have to take to go out and actually obtain that knowledge after you've made that subconscious gamble about whether it's worth it or not. Cool. Good. Yeah. All right. So uh, what resources are available for learning more about passion in the InfoSec community? Yeah. So there, there's there's not a lot. I will recommend two things, and they're a little dense. They're, they're kind of psychology uh, literature reviews, and I've got them linked at the bottom of my blog post. But one is called uh, The Role of Passion and Sustainable Psychological Well-Being. Um, it's by Robert Valorant. He's a, a psychologist. Uh, you can Google it. It's out there. And that, again, the links on my blog post, uh, and I'll provide it to you as well, Tim. But uh, it basically just gives an overview of something called the dual, the dualistic model of passion, which breaks passion down into two uh, different segments. Um, it, it's, uh, it breaks it down into obsessive passion, which is kind of the bad kind of passion, and harmonious passion, which is the good kind of passion. Um very important distinction. Um, and it's this paper, which interestingly enough, I learned that the word passion is actually derived from a Latin word that means suffering, <laughs> uh, which is of course more closely related to the obsessive <laughs> kind of passion, uh, right. which makes, which makes sense when you think of the word. I mean, most of us heard of the movie, the passion of the Christ. Well, that passion is actually referring to suffering, right? So that's uh, uh, right. an interesting paper. It's not written at too deep of a level. So it's, it's accessible to most. So I would, I would encourage that one. The other paper I would encourage another psychology paper. It's from the, uh, uh it's from the early nineties. It's called the psychology psychology of curiosity by George Lowenstein. Um, and it's really just an overview of kind of a lot of the things I talked about in the paper and here about curiosity research, at least up until 1994 and this whole concept of information gap theory and information gap theory is really the leading theory in curiosity. There have been a lot of studies after this one that, uh, that really kind of validate it and get a little bit more technical, but the psychology of curiosity, very accessible article. Um, it's a little older now, but it's, it's, if you want to learn more about it, I think it's the best place to start. Awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to mention that we haven't already discussed? Um, you know, I, I, I don't think so. The, the article covers a lot of it. Uh, definitely make sure to read it. It will either you'll either agree with it vehemently or you will hate it and tweet me and tell me I'm an idiot, which is, is fine. I'm <laughs> cool with that. that. That happens from time to time. But, uh, you know, an interesting thing about the <clears throat> the blog post when I wrote it, I had this theory and, you know, we, we talked about passion a little bit here. And one of the sure way there's a couple ways to identify passion, which I think are important. One, uh, and I mentioned this in the article, is, is you know people often ask, would you do something if you know you didn't get paid for it? So would you do your job if you didn't get paid for it? And I went a little bit further, and I said, well, it's not really that simple. By virtue of doing something and spending your time on it, you're not just 
doing it for free, you're paying to do it because that's time you could be spent doing other things. So it's it's kind of like that economic principle, whereas a dollar sitting in your bank account is losing money to inflation. Well, similar type deal with your time. Um, so would you actually pay to do your job? And if not, then you're probably not passionate about it. Think about the things you would pay to do, and that's really going to help you uh, kind of figure out uh, your passion um, to some degree. So I think that's really important to consider when you're talking about finding your passion. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, what would you like to plug? Oh, plug. Uh, yes. So training. So, uh, I recently started my own company called applied network defense. We do practitioner focused information security training that is both high quality and affordable. Uh, have a few classes going on right now. One is investigation theory, which is all about thinking like a security analyst. Uh, I have my practical packet analysis course, uh, and also a course called effective information security writing. Uh, those are the three that are out there now. We have quite a few bit more coming up. Uh, you can learn more about those at, uh, networkdefense.io. uh, also at applied networkdefense.com so we have those they're all online all really affordable they're designed to be affordable for people who are, don't have company sponsorship so you can pay for them yourself they're cheaper than some of the other providers out there uh, again all online and asynchronous so you can do them uh, at your own leisure okay and then you're on twitter yes uh, at chris sanders 88 and you have a podcast Yes, I do have a podcast. It's probably not as good as this one. Uh, <laughs> no, it's great. I really, I really enjoy uh, listening to other other uh, practitioners within the field talking about where they're kind of their, where they're coming from, where how they got started, and and some of the things they've run into. Yeah, yes, that's what this one's about. It's called Source Code, and it's really where I just take people who are highly successful in information security and, and a couple of tangential fields and interview them and get their origin stories. So how they got into the industry. Um, you know, we go all the way from their first job to their current job and talk a little bit about infosec education and things like that. Each one's right about an hour, so they're a little bit longer. Um, but we've had some really good guests. We've had, we've had Ed mm -hmm. Scotus and Mike Poor, and uh, we recently had Bill Pollock, who's the uh, founder of No Starch Press, and yeah. um, it's going really well. So that's the the first season. We've got one. One more episode coming out. I don't know when this when this podcast will come out, but uh, um, the next episode of Source Code will come out. Um, right, uh, it'll be I think like the sixth, maybe uh, of July. Know. Yeah, uh, yeah, sixth of July, I think, or something somewhere around there. And uh, that's our last one for the season, and that's going to be my good friend Jason Smith uh, talking about kind of growing up in Kentucky, and we kind of share our, both of our stories a little bit there. So that'll be the first season. So definitely make sure to check it out. It's at chrissanders.org/podcast. All right. Awesome. Well, Chris, uh, thank you for joining me to discuss why passion is an infosec requirement. Thanks, Tim. That will do it. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash E-I-S. If you enjoyed the show, share it with others and rate it on iTunes. Have a good one.